If you have uh, your Bibles, copy of God's Word, or your phone or tablet, whatever, Luke chapter 7 is where we're going to be at this morning. And if you were uh, here last week, hopefully you remember that uh, we started a new series. If you were like me and you were not here last week, one, Happy New Year, and two, uh, we're starting a new series this morning, or we started it last week. We're continuing it this morning. Um, And so kind of the premise so that we kind of reorient ourselves is um, that that, uh, the series is just called Mic Drop, and the idea is is that for the next uh, several weeks, we're just going to be in the Gospel of Luke, just talking about looking at some of these moments, call them mic drop moments, where uh, Jesus did something or said something or taught something, or there's just some situation or circumstance uh, that causes people to stop and, and look at Jesus and say, and who is this guy? Uh, what has he come to do? What is he about? Why is he here? What is so significant about him? Right? And so we're going to be doing that over the course of the next uh, several Sundays. And just to kind of get us on the same page here, the reason we're doing that is just because I think in this kind of this season, this time and place in which we live, uh, where we're being bombarded with uh, a million different voices, a million different outlets, all of which are kind of trying to steal our attention, that we would give our attention and our, our focus our ears and our hearts and our minds to, to infinitely lesser things, I think it would do us well to just stop right, and, and consider what Jesus has come to do, to consider who he is, what he says, what he teaches, right, what our response should be to that. And so uh, that's where we're going over the next several weeks, but we're going to start, uh, I guess we started last week, we're going to continue this morning in Luke chapter 7. Uh, we're going to work through a... a a section of scripture here, verses 36 through 50, but I'm going to start uh, reading in verse 36 and we'll kind of walk through it uh, together, all right? So starting in verse 36. It says, One of the Pharisees asked him, that being Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. So to kind of set the scene a little bit this morning, uh, Jesus has been, uh, he's been on the scene for a little bit. Right? He's just finished, if you were to go back in Luke's gospel, he's just finished ministering to the multitudes. Uh, he's been healing people. He's been telling dead people they weren't allowed to be dead anymore, right? He's been doing his thing, right? And so uh, kind of intrigued by that, Simon, the, the Pharisee that is in this story, he invites Jesus to his house, right? And they're going to have share a meal together, which is a significant thing in, in that day and time uh, for you to invite a guest over and share a meal together. That was a, it was a big deal. And so uh, one of the things that, this is not the point this one, but one of the things that I find interesting is uh, Jesus and the Pharisees were, were often at odds with one another. All right? the, uh, the, the Pharisees were not particularly fond of Jesus. Right? He claimed to be the Son of God, claimed to be e- equal with God, and the Pharisees were not, uh, were not cool with that. And then on the flip side, um, Jesus' most pointed criticisms in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, are almost always directed at 
the Pharisees. All right, so you've got Jesus, and then you've got Simon, who is a Pharisee, this representative of this group. Uh, and, and so there's a tension there. All right, there's, you've got these two people that, that uh, didn't always see eye to eye. And what I think is interesting is that Jesus moves towards him. Right? Even though uh, this is, Jesus didn't see eye to eye with the Pharisees, and they certainly didn't see eye to eye with him, Jesus engages them. Right? He engages them. He takes them up on the invitation. And he goes uh, to eat with, with Simon. And, and I think I mean, there's something, again, this is not the point of the sermon, but I think there's something in that for us. Right? Again, in this climate we live in where it's just like everyone's, there's division and it's uh, us against them over any number of issues. Here we have Jesus engaging with someone that, that he disagreed with and that disagreed with him. And, and rather than uh, lobbing just sort of um, condescending uh, memes or, or verbal attacks, uh, he, he engages Simon at, at a, like, as an actual human being created in the image of God. Right? I think even that is something for us to learn today. Okay? So now that we're all uncomfortable, um, that's not the main point. Moving on. So in this story, right, we've got Jesus, central character always in the Bible. But then we've also got two other characters here on the scene. Right? We've got Simon the Pharisee. All right, Simon, again, just so we're all on the same page, as a Pharisee, he would have been uh, well-taught, well-trained in the Old Testament law. Uh, he would have been, uh, not only did he know it, he would have had large portions of it memorized as a Pharisee, so he could just quote it like off the top of his head. Right? He, he knew it. Um, despite the fact that they didn't understand the, the point of the law totally, they would have uh, given themselves to strict obedience to it. Right? They... They lived striving to, to obey every, like, every dot and mark of the law, right? And, and that's who uh, Simon the, the Pharisee was, right? And, and as, like, they, they believed that their righteousness was earned or achieved by their keeping of the law, right? So even though they missed the point of it entirely, still yet, they obeyed the law and they obeyed it really well. And because of that, they looked down on and distanced themselves from anyone that did not keep the law or uh, did not obey these, these commands of God. Right? There was a, in their minds, there was a, a gap between them and, and those who could not obey or did not obey. Right? That's why all throughout the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see the Pharisees sort of always distancing themselves from the, uh, the tax collectors and the, the sinners. Right? or the, the Gentiles, they were, they were distancing themselves from anyone who did not keep God's law, right? which makes the other guest in this story uh, really interesting too. Right? Because we have, on one side of the spectrum, we have Simon the Pharisee. On the other side, we have uh, this sinful woman. Right? We don't know really anything about her. All we know is that she is a, quote, a woman of the city who was a sinner, which almost certainly is a reference to uh, a, a life of prostitution and promiscuity. Right? This is this woman. She, uh, she would have not obeyed God law, God's law. Like Clearly her lifestyle was not a life obedient to, submitted to uh, the law of God. And so now we don't even know her name. We don't know anything about her. But what we've got is Simon the Pharisee, right, 
religious elite on one side, and then here on the other side, we have this woman of the city, a sinner, prostitute, sexually promiscuous woman. All right, and so imagine the boldness and the courage it would have taken her to show up at, at Simon's house. Simon is a Pharisee. He's like the religious elite. And then this woman shows up. Like she, she knows she's not welcome there. She knows what the Pharisees would have thought of her. She knew what Simon would have thought of her. She knew what everyone thought of her because of who she was. Right? But she also knows that, that this is her chance to draw near to Jesus. Right? We, don't, we don't know how she knows Jesus is there. The text just says that she learns that he's there. Maybe she was part of the multitude he was ministering to uh, days before. Maybe he was witness to some of these miracles that he had performed. Maybe she was on the scene when he's raising people from the dead. However, she knows, she finds out that, that Jesus is here in the house of Simon. And so she says, this is my opportunity. And she just goes. Right? She goes to be near Jesus. And she finds him here in Simon's house. And, and we kind of read through the interaction there. Right? She, she draws near to Jesus, who's reclining at the table to, to eat. And it says she begins to weep. And now what would have been customary at that time was for uh, Jesus as a guest of honor in Simon's house. What, what would have been customary was for Jesus' feet to have been washed as a guest. Right? That doesn't fall on us the same because we think it's like we might tell people to take off their shoes, but like none of us are washing anybody's feet when they come in our house, right? Uh, but that would have been customary at the time. But as Jesus is going to go on to say, Simon didn't wash his feet. But you have this woman who shows up, this woman of the city, and, and she actually does wash his feet, but not in the conventional sense, right? where there would have been a basin of, of water and uh, some, some towels there for her to use, some, some garments. Uh, she, she doesn't even use those things. She wets his feet with her tears. All right, we don't know. We know little of her story, so we don't know if these are tears of brokenness, over her sin and rebellion. We don't know if these are tears of, uh, of, of contrition over who she is and what she's done. We don't know if these are tears of joy because she's in the presence of the one who heals and, uh, and, and restores. We don't know why she's crying, but we know that she is crying to the point where she wets Jesus' feet with her tears, like cleans his feet with, with the tears falling from her face. And then, not only that, but in uh, what would have been an extremely controversial act, she lets down her hair. Right? That was not a thing that, that women did in first century, uh, the first century world we're talking about here. Right? But she, she lets down her hair, kind of defies the social norms of the day. And, and after she's wet his feet with her tears, she begins to wipe his feet with her hair. So clearly what we've got going on here is, is this woman, again, we don't even know her name, but this woman is responding to Jesus and she doesn't care about what anybody else says. Right? There's no, uh, she, again, the letting down of her hair, she's defied what was socially acceptable in that day. She clearly does not care what people think about her, say about her, believe about her as she responds to this Jesus. And maybe that's just a word for somebody here this morning. 
Right? Maybe the thing that's, maybe you felt the promptings like in your heart to move towards Jesus, to respond to Jesus, to, to confess your sin, to repent of your sin. And the thing that's keeping you back from that is what other people might think or say or see or believe about you. And, and I just want to free you up this morning. Right? This woman is an example. She just, she doesn't care what people say. She doesn't care what people think. She doesn't care what people believe. She doesn't care what the, the public opinion is of her. She moves towards Jesus, the one who is able to forgive and redeem and restore. All right, so we got the scene here with this woman interacting with uh, Jesus, but, but then the Pharisee kind of chimes in in verse 39. It says, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. All right, so a couple things that I find interesting here is, one, you kind of see the heart of the Pharisees here. Right? He, he's just dismissive of who Jesus is. Um, again, they, the Pharisees didn't see eye to eye with Jesus. Jesus didn't always see eye to eye with them. I very rarely saw eye to eye with them. But uh, what you see here is that the Pharisee is dismissive of who Jesus is. He uh, he does not believe that Jesus is a prophet uh, sent by God. He does not believe that Jesus would have any uh, knowledge of who this woman is that is uh, interacting with him, touching him, washing his feet. Right? The Pharisee certainly does not believe that Jesus is uh, the, the omniscient, all-knowing Son of God. And so he just dismisses it. Right? And what I find interesting is that, uh, notice, he, he didn't actually say these things out loud. Right, verse 39 says that he, he said to himself, right? he, he, he didn't verbalize this. He said to himself, if, man, if this Jesus knew who this woman was, he would not let her draw near to him. And Jesus does what he often does. is He, uh, he answers those internal thoughts. Right? Verse, verse 40, he's going to tell a parable. It says, and Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Simon doesn't even verbalize what he's thinking, and Jesus is like, hey, let me respond to what you're thinking inside. Okay? Verse 41. It says, A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? So as Jesus often does, especially around the Pharisees, he, he presents a parable. Right? A parable is just a story uh, a made-up story to prove a point. And whereas some of Jesus' parables throughout the Gospels are confusing, and you're like, you read them and you're like, I'm not totally sure what to do with that. Even Jesus' disciples sometimes when he would teach, they're like, hey, can you uh, explain that to us? Right? Some of his parables are difficult. This is not one of those. Right? The point is really, really clear. You've got a moneylender who has two debtors. The two debtors represent the two, the two other people here in this home. Right? At least the two other people we know about that are here in Simon's home. You've got the one who owed 500 denarii, which was representative of the woman. Right? She has this massive debt. Right? Her sin before a holy God, her, her continual and consistent breaking of God's good and perfect law, has, has accrued uh, this massive debt that she would never be able to repay on her own. Right? And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got 
uh, represented in the story, you've got the Pharisee, the debtor who owns a, a significantly smaller amount, or, or so it seems. Right? You've got, uh, he, he owes 50. Right? Because the Pharisee, remember, they, they obeyed God's law. They were, they were all in. Right? They, they had it memorized. They would strive to live in an, uh, strict adherence to God's law. And so at least from a human perception, it was perceived that his debt would have been much less. So you've got the woman who owes much. You've got the Pharisee who at least, again, perception owes significantly less. But what happens in the parables, the debts, are both, the debts of both are, are canceled. They're wiped away, clean. And so Jesus poses the question to Simon, right, who, Simon, which, which one of them will love the lender more? The one who is forgiven much or the one who is forgiven little? And so you get... You get Jesus's, uh, you get Simon's, I'm sorry, his response here. And you, you can almost feel in his response he doesn't want to answer the question because he knows he's being set up. Right, in verse 43, so Jesus poses a question, which, which one of them uh, will love him more? And, and Simon answered, verse 43, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Simon knew the answer to the parable. He knew that this woman in his house represented the, the other person in, in the parable, in the story. He, he knew that she had a massive debt that she could not repay. He, he knew that her persistent sin and her persistent rebellion had broken God's heart, broken God's law. She had accrued this massive debt that uh, no matter how much she worked and worked and worked, she could never repay it on her own. Right, and so, even though Simon seems to have some knowledge of what's going on here, Jesus is going to press it further to make sure that Simon understands the message. In verse 44, it says, Then turning toward the woman, Jesus said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. All right, and, and Jesus is, is pointing to this woman because here's the reality. is This woman had an awareness and an understanding that Simon the Pharisee just could not have. He did not have. This woman... She knew she was a sinner. Right? She knew that her, her lifestyle of sin and rebellion against a holy God had, had created this massive debt that she could never repay. Right? She, she knows that she has rebelled time and time and time and time again against God's good and perfect law. She knew what it was like to bear the guilt and the weight and the shame of a lifestyle of sin and rebellion. She, she knew what it was like to, to experience the, the effects of her sin. She knew what it was like to receive the looks of disapproval and disdain from others. She, she knew what it was like to bear the crushing weight of condemnation. She was a sinner, and she knew it. She knew it. 
She knew that her, her pattern of life had, had, again, accrued this massive debt that she could do nothing about. And, and it was because of that, because of her awareness of who she was, because of her awareness of her sin, because of her awareness of her, her rejection of God's law, her rebellion against him, because of her awareness of, of all of those things, that she also had an experiential knowledge, not just at a head level, but at a heart level, of the depths of the forgiveness that Jesus offers. I just, like, we need to, to sit in that for a minute. Like, we will not appreciate, we will not fully grasp and understand and experience the freedom that comes from Jesus' forgiveness if we don't first see the ugliness of our sin for what it is. It's, it's rebellion against a holy God. It's rejection of His good and perfect law. And it's ugly. And it creates a debt that we could not pay on our own. The, the, the Bible doesn't say that we're just bad people because of our sin. It says we're dead people. Like we're hopeless if we're left with our sin. And so we've got to experience the, the weight of that for a minute. Because it's only when we experience the weight of that that we begin to see the depth of Jesus' forgiveness. It's only when we feel the weight of that that we begin to understand the fullness of His mercy. So, that's why our response is so extraordinary. She has some knowledge of this forgiveness and grace and mercy that, that Jesus offers. And so her response to Him is, is one of love for what He has done. She, she wets her feet with her tears, his feet with her tears. She washes his feet, cleans them, wipes them clean with her hair. And she, she anoints them in this act of humility with, with this flask of alabaster ointment or perfume, which would have been the most costly possession she probably owned. Because she knows this Jesus has done something significant for her. And so look what Jesus says to her. He says, therefore I tell you, verse 47, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus turns and says to her in verse 48, your sins are forgiven. Her sins, which were many, forgiven. Now, hear what Jesus says there. All right, don't glance over it. At no point does Jesus diminish her sin. At no point does Jesus say, uh, you know what? Everybody sins, not that big of a deal. It's all good. All right, as, at no point does he kind of sweep it under the rug, throw it in the background. Right, it, Jesus knows her sin. Right? He, he, he didn't even disagree with, with Simon the Pharisee. Remember, his, his assessment of this woman was she is a sinner. If only Jesus knew she was a sinner. Well, it turns out Jesus did know she was a sinner. Right? Jesus knows we're all sinners. But his response, whereas the Pharisee was to, to push her away and say, like, don't let her draw near me, right? Jesus' response is to, to move towards her. Right? Jesus knew she was a sinner. The truth remains. 
And yet, Jesus does what he always does. He responds with grace and truth. Grace and truth. Like, listen to these are words from John 1. Um, if you were here we, back in December, we went through Advent and we talked about these different accounts of, uh, of Jesus' birth and his incarnation. Uh, I, I like John's gospel because he's just like, gets to it, right? There's no unfolding birth narrative. There's none of that. This is what John writes in John chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 14. He says, And the Word, that means Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then jumps down in verse 16. It says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Here's the point. It says we have received the fullness of grace. He is full of grace and truth. Right? When Jesus responds to us in our sin, it's not some, like, he's not going halvesies. Right? It's not like, I'm give a little bit of grace, give a little bit of truth. Right? He's not making like, a, like an Arnold Palmer of this stuff. Sunjoy, is that what Chick-fil-A says now? Right? We, we know what you're talking about, Chick-fil-A. Right? It's an Arnold Palmer. He's not like mixing up like half and half. It says that we've received the fullness. Right? He's full of grace and truth. It's not some, it's not some combination. He's, he's all grace and he's all truth. That's why Jesus can respond to this woman's sin and never diminish it, never sweep it under the rug, never say no big deal. He meets it head on for what it is. It is sin. It is rejection of a, of a holy God. It's rebellion against him. And yet, he can also respond with, the fullness of grace and of mercy and of kindness and of compassion. And he doesn't just respond to the woman this way, he responds to us this way. In, in our sin, in our brokenness, in our shame, Jesus meets us with truth. Yes, we have sinned. Yes, we have rebelled. Yes, we have rejected a good God. But he also responds with the fullness of grace. In that, that all of those sins he took on himself. Right? Not sweeping them under the rug, but dealing with them once and for all through his death on the cross. Right? That's that grace and mercy and forgiveness and unmerited favor is available to us as well, just as it was to this woman. And if we're honest, like doesn't that make us uncomfortable? Like, don't we feel, like, it seems scandalous, right? Like, we've got to, shouldn't we have to do something to receive that? Right? Shouldn't we have to clean ourselves up a little bit first or right some of our wrongs and then make ourselves acceptable and pleasing before this Jesus? And in that regard, no. There is a response, though, to that. Look at what he says in verse 50 of Luke chapter 7. Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Right. Listen, our response 
to the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that Jesus offers is this, faith and repentance. It's to believe, to believe that Jesus' offer of forgiveness is sufficient. To believe that his, his perfect life in our place, his death on the cross for the sins that, that we deserve to die for and his resurrection from the grave. Like those are sufficient payment for all of my sin, past, present, and future. To believe that is to respond in faith and then repentance, to, to live differently because of it. Right, that's what Jesus says to this woman. Right, your faith has saved you. You believe this. You believe, you believe what I'm doing for you. I'm offering forgiveness for your sin. Now go in peace. Right, go in and live out, uh, like walk in the peace of knowing your sins are forgiven. Walk in the freedom of knowing your sins are forgiven. Walk in the newness of life that comes from a, a life that has been transformed by his grace. Because his grace is sufficient for all your sin. Not most of your sin, not some of your sin, all of your sin. Past, present, future. That's what Jesus offers. So before we land the plane, I want to read uh, these are some of Paul's words in, in Romans. And I think, like, they are, if you just read them through slowly, like, it's kind of shocking. This is in chapter 3, starting verse 23. This is what Paul writes to the Romans. It says, for all, the original language, all means all, everybody, okay? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Like, that's bad, Right? We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And then, and then he just goes on to the next thought. Like there's just like a comma. Just like a brief pause. Move on. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, made right, cleansed, forgiven. Kind of the, the cliche, cheesy sort of thing is when we say justified, it means just as if I had never sinned. We're all justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. It means Jesus satisfied God's wrath toward our sin. He did this by his blood, which is to be received by faith. So here, here's how I want to close. Right? Two, I want to address two types of people in the room. Because really, there's only two types of people in the room. If you're not a Christian, here's what I want you to know. If, if you've never repented of your sins, you've never trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, this forgiveness, this mercy, this grace is available to you. It's available to you here this morning. Right? You, and you, you, you don't have to get your life cleaned up first. You don't have to right all these wrongs in your past before you move towards Jesus. Right? You don't have to get everything in order before you respond. It's, no, you, you respond to Jesus. You, you repent. You confess your sin. You repent of your sin. You trust that his payment on the cross, his resurrection were sufficient to earn your forgiveness. And then you respond to that. 
by walking in the newness of life, by going in peace. Jesus' offer of forgiveness and mercy and compassion is available to you this morning. Right? That's if you're, you're not a Christian. And if you'd like to, to know more about that, how do I have this relationship with Jesus? How do I respond to that? How do I, when you say I put my trust in Jesus, what does that mean? What does that require of me? That's a conversation we would love to have with you. All right, myself, Andrew's here, right, any, any believer here in this room, and we would love to have a, a conversation with you about that, what that means to believe in Jesus, to put your trust in Jesus for the salvation, for the forgiveness of sin. So that's one group. But I also want to talk to what I assume, maybe I shouldn't assume things, but what I assume is, is probably the bigger group here this morning, and that's, that's to Christians. Those of us who have confessed and repented of our sins and put our trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. I, here's what I want for you, is to just be reminded of the significance of what Jesus has done for you. And because we, I get it, man, we, we come in here week after week and you hear, hopefully if I'm doing my job, you hear at some point like Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. And, and if we're honest, like that can fall on deaf ears sometimes. Like sometimes we want to move on to something else. Like, yeah, I know all that. I know all that. I need to move on to something else now. And the reality is, is no, we need to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded of the, of the ugliness of our sin, of, of our despair apart from Jesus. Because it's only like in, in the, it's only when we, we see that for the, our sin for the depth and the ugliness of what it is that we, we see the good news of the gospel for what it truly is. Right, so I would just remind you of the, of the depths of your sin, but, but also we just remind you of Jesus' words to the woman. That your sins, though they are many, they're forgiven. They're forgiven. So if you're here and you're a Christian and like you, you've, you've assented to that, I believe that Jesus died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, but you're, like, you're still carrying the weight and the shame and the guilt and the burden, like you need to be freed from that to walk in peace and know that your sins, though they are many, have been forgiven. You've been forgiven. Not because of anything good in you, not because of how great and awesome you are, not because of what you've done, not because of what you haven't done, but because of what Jesus has done for you. His grace lavished on you, which all you do is receive by faith, by believing and trusting. So here's how we're going to respond uh, this morning. There's, uh, you see here on either corner of the stage, kind of the Lord's Supper prepared for us. This is just how we're going to respond. We're going to respond by receiving the Lord's Supper. And, and what this represents is it's just a, uh, it's just a visual representation, a visual reminder of what Jesus has done to secure our forgiveness. It's his, the, the juice represents his blood shed on the cross right, for the forgiveness of our sins. The, the bread is just a representation of his body which was broken and, and hung on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And so we're going to receive the Lord's Supper this, this morning just as, as a response. Uh, and, and here's what I would do. I just want to, a couple things and then the band's going to come and lead us.
If you're here and you're not a Christian, uh, what we're doing when we receive these elements is we are saying, this is for those of us who have trusted in Jesus' death on the cross. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, you've, I would just invite you to, to not come take these this morning. But like, let this be an invitation to you. Right? Because what Jesus did for you, or what Jesus did on the cross, like, it's available to you. We would just love to have a conversation with you about what that means. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, right? we don't think any less of you. I'm really glad you're here, actually. But I would just ask that you not take this, right? because this is for those who have trusted in Jesus. Right? So for those of you that are here that are Christians, before you take that, here's what I would just ask you to do. Right? The band's going to come. They're going to begin to sing uh, a song just about uh, his, his amazing grace. And here's what I would ask for you to do. Right? Spend a moment, just a quiet moment, remembering, reflecting on, reminding yourself of the, the seriousness of your sin. All right? But, and this is a good news, just don't linger there too long. Because the good news of the gospel, the good news of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ is that Though your sins are many, they've been forgiven because of what Jesus has done. All right, so would you pray with me this morning? Father, we come to you and we are grateful for your word. We're grateful for these moments um, where, where your word kind of forces us to stop and to consider, to pay attention to who you are and to what you have done, what you came to do. So, Father, I thank you this morning for this, uh, just this sort of representation of, of this woman's story, which is really our story. We have sinned. We have all sinned. We've all fallen short of your glory. We've, we've rejected you, Father, in, in favor of, of our own sinful desires. We have rebelled against your good and perfect commandments for us. That's all of us. And yet, Father, we also believe that because of the perfect life and the sacrificial death and the victorious resurrection of Jesus, that through belief and trust in that, that we can be forgiven. We believe that you've responded to our sin with, with grace and truth. That you didn't sweep our sin under the rug, but you dealt with it on the cross once and for all. So Father, if there's someone here this morning that's never, that's never repented of their sin and trusted in you, Jesus, I pray that they would. I pray that you would prompt their, uh, their spirit, prompt their heart this morning. Convict them of that. Uh, in the best way possible, I pray that you would make them miserable until they come to a saving faith of who you are. And Father, for, for those that, that, that have trusted in uh, in your death on the cross for sin, or we have responded to the, the invitation, I, I pray that we would be reminded new this morning of, uh, in, in one sense, yes, of the significance of our sin, but also in the, the beauty and the depth of your forgiveness. So Father, as we sing this morning about uh, your amazing grace, help us to do so really remembering how amazing it is that we don't deserve it, we haven't earned it, but that you freely give it as a gift.
And so, Lord, help us to respond with, with glad and grateful and thankful hearts. Father, we love you. We praise you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.